welcome to Growing E-Commerce. I'm your host, Mike Ryan of Smarter E-Commerce, also known as SMIC. Today, I'm joined by Colin Slattery, founder of Tycoon Digital, and we talk all things mid-funnel. We discuss what's going on with Google's new demand gen campaigns, what to think about YouTube shorts, and how Meta often compares favorably to Google these days. Colin also shares his take on Google Automation, whether it's a net positive or net negative. All right, let's get into it. Cool. So, Colin, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we before we get into it, I just want to ask you or tell us, where are you joining us from today? I'm in sunny and very, very hot Barcelona, Spain. Yeah, cool. So what I mean, I'm always glad when someone from like the from the the PPC chat crowd or people I know from Twitter are are visiting Europe because it's, you know, it's cool, easier to stay in touch with them and stuff like that. What brings you to Barcelona, by the way? So, I I love Barcelona. I usually do an international trip every year, like an extended stay. So sometimes that's in Europe, sometimes that's in South America. Last year I was in Istanbul for two months and love Spain, love Barcelona. And my girlfriend was able to come on this trip too. And she loves Barcelona. So we said, why not? It's a a beautiful city and much more affordable than New York. So (laughs) felt like a a good spot to to go. And I I speak a, a tiny little bit of Spanish. Uh, which, which can help, but yeah, no, just my international trip. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I was in Barcelona for like a long weekend once, but it was, yeah, it was right before the pandemic happened and yeah, I don't know. We were, we were kind of using it as a, as a, we're preparing to travel with our young son to the U S so that was like sort of a practice trip and then the lockdowns happened. So anyway. But yeah, let's get into it, Colin. So could you get us started with a quick introduction? What are your what are your skills? What themes interest you? Yeah. So I'm Colin. I run Tycoon Digital. And, you know, like my skills are pretty broad because I taught all of this myself. So, you know, core, definitely a Google and, and Facebook ads kind of guy skewing towards the, the data and analytics. I used to be like a poker player. I'm a, a, a super nerd. So the, the the math and analytics definitely appeals to me, but you know I've I've done a little bit of everything from the digital side. So you know I can I can update a CSS file too, in addition to you know launching Google Ads and Facebook Ads and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, I think the data side definitely speaks to me as well. It's something that's so interesting about this space. And uh, and yeah, then you know you you've also self-taught like entrepreneurship as well. There's a lot of, I guess, in, in running your own agency, there's a lot that you've got to learn and master there. Yeah. Or, or try to master, I suppose. <laughs> try to master. Good, good qualifier. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your kind of like your, your origin story then. Like, I mean, agencies these days, they're just flush with, with college grads, you know, that's same same by us, we recruit straight out of uni a lot, but that's that's not your background. Could no. you? <laughs> and I don't really know that. I know I I know that there's a story, but I don't know the story. So could you uh, fill us in on your earlier life and how you got here? I mean, where do we want to start, and how much time do we have? I guess is the 
the question. I was fully independent by 18, so I didn't get the luxury of going to college. And New York's an expensive city, so it's an expensive city to be an independent high school graduate at 18. So, yeah, I mean, the internet really provided a opportunity to make money and, and try to make money without any sort of degree, right? This was back in 2007, very new, right? I don't know if you remember the days where like you could do affiliate pharmacies <laughs> online, like and Google was okay with that back in like 2006, 2007. So it was really a wild west where like yeah. you could just like do almost anything and there was no regulation. Completely unregulated. I mean, you know, a 17-year-old running, a, you know, an affiliate pharmacy for some sketchy Canadian pharmacy, like, that was okay then. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just kind of had to hustle into it, and, and digital was this you know, wide-open space, and so I ended up doing a lot of different stuff over the years. You know, I started the company as, like, a web host in December 2009 the company was like formalized in August 2010 but uh, yeah like web hosting SEO email marketing you know, kind of just learning it all because not having a college degree and the great recession which was not great for for incomes really kind of had to to hustle if you've seen the movie rounders I played underground poker in New York that's a uh, a whole nother long story, but uh, yeah, it was a little bit, a little bit of everything and just scrapping away to, to make it work. And then eventually you get a little traction and now I'm in Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool story. I mean, yeah, great recession, recession hit me. So I had, I, I flamed out of like a PhD program and right in like 2009 and I had no plan B. And then, yeah, I mean, I was scraping together. I was working like evening shifts, cashiering at a liquor store. In the morning, I was unloading trucks and driving a forklift. And uh, so that was, you know, it was a wild time anyway. But I, I don't think that I faced the adversity that you faced as a, you know, very young, independent guy in New York City. That's a totally different experience than what I had. I mean, you, you understand the scrappiness, though. You had to do it yourself. So. It was an adjustment, and but you know that's what got me into retail, which got me into e-commerce, which brought me here. You know, it all, yeah. It, it's funny how you can see the the dots connected, look, looking backwards. Where at the time you're like, this isn't going to go anywhere, and then in hindsight, it does. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like it's like a a plinko board, you know, where that you're just dropping that ball or that chip down. It's and it's bouncing around. But afterwards you see the, the you see the path that it traveled. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, and so I, I mean I'm wondering if that like if you think that background kind of shapes your view today differently than than others. I mean I think it it, it must somehow. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the big things is definitely persistence and especially trying to grow a company like there's going to be bad times right and we haven't seen a recession in a long time at least in the u.s but like it's going to happen and there are bad quarters there are bad years like you don't just pack up and and stop or 
you know, even with campaigns and things like that, you know, he's like always trying to find a way to make things work, like persistently trying to improve and then not really giving up. You know, my, my superpower is stubbornness and an unwillingness to stop. And that can definitely come in handy because, you know, building something is not, a, it's not easy. It's not friendly. It's definitely a full contact sport. You're going to get knocked on your ass and just got to keep, keep marching. Mm. So it, it helps to have learned that early. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that must give you kind of a lot of empathy and firsthand experience when you're working with, with smaller businesses. Cause you, you are like, tell me about, about who you're working with. I understand it's, it's more on the SMB side and I have a follow on question to that, <laughs> but tell me about who you're working with. Yeah. So most of our clients are spending less than a hundred thousand a month. A lot of them are spending less than done a lot of work with like fresh upstart, like, Hey, we launched our Shopify website, like let's get going. And you know, I, I definitely appreciate the, the, you know, sort of fortitude and the courage that it takes to be like, I'm going to build something. I'm going to start something. I'm going to put my stuff out there for the market to judge. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I always like immensely respect all the people who are, are willing to do that. Cause it's, it's scary. It's hard. It's humbling. Right. <laughs> like. What if people don't buy my product? What if people don't like my product? You know, there's always anyone can talk themselves out of, of, of starting something or launching something. And so, you know, always tons of credit to, to people who are actually in the arena, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, you'll see kind of a darling brand that, that ends up, you know, suddenly say sort of emperor has no clothes situation or, or a brand our brand collapses or has to shut down, wind sure. down. And there are sometimes people savoring that. And I think it doesn't have a lot of respect for, you know, what the reality on the ground and how hard that is. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny because yeah, like 50K, 100K monthly spend is not that small here in Europe, but you know, it's a much more fragmented market. So there, I think that's a reflection of that. But I want to ask you, like, when we're, when you're talking about some of the some of the companies on the smaller side, imagine like kind of a startup brand or something like that. Sure. Is, is has paid search become a rich man's sport? Like, do you do you just have to have the wallet and have to spend big? Or what are the challenges faced by smaller advertisers that a larger advertiser wouldn't have to worry about? There's so many. So I do think it is more of a rich man's sport today than it used to be. Obviously, costs go up as it becomes more mature, right? It's a fully mature platform at this point. But one of the things that we always used to do was like start narrow and expand out on Google, right? Where you could do like a couple keywords, exact match where you like really dialed into exactly who your customer is, get those working and then start to expand out. And that is a, really a, a much less effective strategy these days, especially with all of the machine learning that you have to lean on. You know, the, the days of, of you know, manual CBC with maybe that eCBC checkbox clicked are, are long since over for the most part. And, you know, there's a lot of data loss now too, which, which is a challenge for, for small advertisers. You know, I've 
I've ranted about the the search query report many times, but you know, you've got 80% of your spend hidden. You don't even know what's working and what's not because it's all hidden, right? And, you know, that's a, a real concern. I think when you're just starting out, you're trying to figure out what works and you have no idea, you know, if you're big, like, do you, is it really that necessary for you to, to see all of your conversions? No, because you're getting thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, right? But when you're like, okay, my first few conversions, I got five conversions so far in the last couple of weeks and all five of them are hidden. You're like, well, what do I take from this? Right. What can I learn? What can I apply? So it's definitely a more challenging environment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I really appreciate that. Like this idea of kind of using a, a niche strategy is, is less feasible than it used to be. And because you're you're it's harder to get that level of dialed in control that you used to be able to get and even it just reminds me of a story like at a client i mean you can still do like a nowadays considered old school query funneling type build in google shopping where you're just for those not as deep into it it's just it's just a way of of helping control what kind of search queries you're actually going to be visible for more generic ones or, or more product specific ones etc and you know we had advertisers who were using that to specifically avoid or reduce their overlap with Amazon and get into other kinds of auctions. And you don't necessarily have that that level of control anymore. It's definitely, I feel like ads used to be a place that allowed anybody to stand shoulder to shoulder at eye level with with a big player. And now it does feel like it's a, it's, it's a force that's allowing the big to get bigger and just keep concentrating concentrating demand it's 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 definitely a different kind of feeling than it was a few years back yeah you know i used to think and and say right like you could start with a couple thousand dollars a month and like expand out from that right because like you could go really narrow you could find stuff that's working you could be getting dollars coming in and start to expand out from that and now i generally i'm like look you you have it going there's going to be so much signal loss it just it, it doesn't work the way it did and you know it's at ten thousand dollars a month is a lot like that's not that's not pocket change for you know someone who's starting a new brand or something yeah for sure so when we look at like this trend toward automation that, that you've that you've mentioned like with these newer campaign types do you do you think that overall big picture like is it serving advertisers better in net terms, considering that we, we talked about some trade-offs, loss of transparency, a loss of control, but you know, they're, they're offering to kind of offload manual work for us, do things that humans, like a level of computation or, or tasks that humans wouldn't be able to achieve manually. I mean, where do you, where do you stand on this in net terms? Is it a net benefit? No, I think it's overall a net negative. And this is a, a pretty strongly held belief of mine and it, it makes sense from Google's standpoint right because you have to think Google is probably traded company they're there to make money right their goal is to maximize the amount of money that we're spending on their ads and the push towards automation in my view from you know things like performance max and, and all of this automation is to 
for advertising performance, right? Because if you think about it, like historically, you know, the top 1% of advertisers in terms of like skill are making tons and tons and tons of money. And then a huge percentage are just losing money. And that profit that those like hyper elite advertisers are making is viewed as a problem by Google, right? They want to distribute that down and flatten the curve, ideally to the point where, you know, I have this term, you know, minimal acceptable return, right? Where every advertiser is essentially getting this minimal acceptable return to keep them advertising. So they keep spending money on Google. So I think, you know, it's probably good for the bottom half of advertisers but i think it's it's definitely worse for you know the top half of advertisers and and certainly the the people who are are being managed by you know people like ourselves right you know it's not necessarily helpful for them in particular mm-hmm. yeah i i i hear you i i think that there's definitely been yeah, this word, I'm, I'm sorry, there's been like sort of a democratization or something like that, which it feels a little buzzwordy. It also has this inherently kind of positive connotation because we think, oh yeah, democratize, that's great. But, uh, you know, to your point, it's kind of like grading on a curve or this idea of like cutting the tall poppies or something like that. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to, it's tricky because I feel like the, the from a value proposition standpoint, the people who would be who who should benefit most from this would be like would be small and medium businesses they're under resourced and they don't have necessarily that knowledge level the skill that you mentioned we're talking about how it's becoming a more expensive channel but i think that the reality is it is it doesn't necessarily serve them that much better because you need a lot of data to make the stuff work and and in the end the the people with the most data um, benefit and they already more likely had access to skilled in-house people or a high quality agency or whatever the case might be. I, I don't know where, where exactly I land on that. Cause I think if we think in net terms and it's lifting up this bottom 50%, then, then in net terms, maybe that's good. Hard, hard for me to, to, to say, but I definitely, that's kind of the premise of like Frederick Villay's book, leveling the playing field. Cause it, it's definitely, it's leveling the playing field. That's the perfect way to, to phrase it. And I guess the thing is that this is not like if we're all having these self-driving cars or something, that's great. But Google forgets that this is not a commute to work or something like that. This is a competitive race. We don't want to all drive the same self-driving cars as everyone else. We want to win a race. Um, And the question is like, how do you differentiate? How do you outcompete in that kind of a scenario? It's, It's more challenging than it was. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, like we're all using the same bidding algorithms, like we're losing the targeting, right? So Google's on-platform differentiation is kind of going away, right? And it's, you know, who can get the most data and who's the most optimized, like off-channel on website and retention and the rest of it. So I think, I think they're, Google's doing what they can to maximizing profit margins as they should, right? Publicly traded company. That's that's what they exist for to make yeah. money for their shareholders. Yeah. I mean, that's not like bad behavior on their part. That's just, I mean, that's their job actually. So yeah, I, I get it totally. But yeah, this is, this is capitalism, right? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I think the complaints come when when a company is of a certain size and a, and a certain kind of market position and influence. Where, yeah, I mean, then you can start to be concerned about that. But I I think there's a big difference between Google and Facebook too, and this is something that I don't know. I thought a lot about, and I I feel like not a lot of other people have really like discussed. And you know, I think it's. I find the relationship with Google to be much more adversarial than with Facebook. And I think the reason behind that is from a search standpoint, which is Google's bread and butter, right? Like they really don't have control over the amount of inventory that exists. Like there's like people are going to search basically the amount that they're going to search, right? And Google doesn't have a lot of capability to increase that inventory so in order for them to make more money they need to more aggressively monetize that inventory like get people to pay more for low quality inventory that they weren't bidding on increasing the costs of the bids for the competitive inventory that exists you know getting agencies out of the equation so that that 10 or so percent can go into the bids on search and you know, Facebook, they can, they have much more control over their inventory. They can get people to scroll more and spend more time on the apps, giving, you know, essentially more mileage to serve ads against, right? So Facebook has much more capacity to control their inventory than Google does. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the relationships are kind of different. And I also think that's one of the big reasons why Google is leaning hard into their own properties, you know, with things like demand gen that's coming out, right? So, yeah, interesting mechanics you bring up there. And I remember back, like, we saw kind of a, I don't know if it was similar in, in the US and North America, but we had kind of like a CPC recession during the, during the pandemic, at least the, the first half of it, let's say. And, and, you know, my, hypothesis about what was going on there is that just there was so much more search volume and it was quite natural. People were searching online, this increased the amount of inventory and, and it caused a reduction in, in unit price. If that, if, you know, if that, if that inventory would be more constrained, if there'd be less inventory and, and all this ad dollars competing for it, then, then the unit cost would go up. But you're right. Google, this is a bit like the weather for them. You know, they can try to identify commercial queries better and make sure that ads are being served. They can, they can, there are things that they can do for sure, but ultimately it is, it is a bit like the weather for them, that, that search volume. And, and then this causes them, I mean, this used to be called surfaces and I don't know if they really replace that term. I think they're not really using the term surfaces anymore, but they look at more like where else can they create space? And some of it is like, organic, some of it are, there are free clicks and some of it is monetized, but you just said the word demand gen. So, and we were just talking about these new automated campaign types. So like, what can you tell us about demand gen? Well, it's, it's kind of like discover on steroids, right? Well, sorry, and... let's, let's discover then for somebody, I mean, just not, we don't have to get too much into it, but quickly what's discover and what's demand gen? So discover ads, discovery ads, essentially serving across specific Google properties. So, you know, they're in Gmail, right? They're in like Discover app, YouTube, some placements, right? Not video placements. This is 
home search and like watch next things like that and it's kind of like middle of the funnel ads so they're, they're visual images product feeds things like that serving on some of these google properties and in between kind of the the again you know the top of the funnel youtube like traditional what i consider traditional youtube display definitely and then obviously search towards the bottom of the funnel so it's the closest google's got really gotten to date before demand gen right in terms of like having a sort of facebook analog and so, yeah and i interrupted you earlier so you said that demand gen is then like discover on on steroids so we just covered discover so tell, take us then further into demand gen yeah so demand gen is just adding more really i guess like what you could call like the rest of of google's owned properties that aren't search right so it's youtube it's shorts it's in stream you're getting video access they're adding, you know, additional audience types, right? Literally, like, lookalikes. Like, who's, who's heard of those from the social side of things? Yeah. So, it just, I guess, like, expanding it out to the whole network of owned properties that aren't search. Yeah. And, and so that that's an interesting placement category there, Google owned and operated. And, like, that's, you know, that was a big part of what, performance max was or what performance max is was just taking these shopping campaigns making sure that i mean yeah there's also a display component but also making sure that they're going to be putting those ad dollars towards google owned and operated properties and demand gen is kind of like just plucking out that geo and google owned and operated segment and really addressing that i mean you you before mentioned a couple times like this is the closest that they've had or most comparable they've had to the paid social they're, they're t taking terms like look like audiences and it seems like they're taking trying to take some of the propositions of paid social and speak to those how credible do you find a comparison between demand gen and say a meta campaign uh so i think it's higher up the funnel for sure but i think it, the comparison is somewhat valid for sure I also think that, like, Google would love to get their hands on a social media company. Like, Snap, Pinterest, like, if it weren't for antitrust scrutiny, they would, like, love to add that to the overall portfolio. But I think it's, like, pretty close, right? It's not, you know, if I were to kind of, like, compare it specifically to something on Facebook, right? It, it would be maybe not, like, a purchase optimization but maybe like an add to cart optimization because, you know, Facebook has, you know, different events that you can optimize for, right? Really will put you in different spots of the funnel. Like Facebook knows if you're a buyer, like really well. And so I don't think, you know, demand gen is going to have that level of down the funnel capacity to drive purchases at the efficiency that Facebook does. But I think, you know, pretty, pretty comparable and... You know, I think it'll also be able to leverage the assets that people are already using on social, which is going to make like pretty easy uptake. And that's, I think, always been one of the challenges is that all of these advertisers who are Facebook first, they're like, oh, great, you know, let's add Google to the mix. And they're like, oh, wait, it, we can't, like, none of this is, is relevant. None of this is useful. 
where we got to like completely start from scratch and has always been a little well and i think this is going to help lower the the barrier to entry pretty significantly mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree with that and i i think that you know they're leaning pretty hard on youtube here and that's probably the closest thing that they've got to like a proper social platform i guess a couple questions i have like i'm wondering like you know the headspace that people are in when they're on youtube compared to the headspace that they're in when they're browsing a like a content feed on facebook or instagram i i feel like in that sense YouTube is maybe pretty close, but like the Gmail part sticks out like a sore thumb. Like that's just in there, in my opinion. It doesn't really fit to to demand gen, I would say. But uh, I mean, it, it, yeah, I would see that a better as a better place to serve some remarketing inventory or something like that. And this this makes me wonder too. Like demand gen, you really the idea implicit in that name is that you're going to be waking up cold traffic and waking up demand and awareness and people who didn't have that before like, or you know somewhere a little below an awareness campaign let's say but and i'm just i'm wondering i i just feel like google's algorithms and it probably has to do with their audience graph and and some of the technologies they've built but they're really good at the warm traffic and at that demand capture and i i'm wondering how well they'll perform here and actually bringing us some more kind of cold traffic yeah, I mean, it's it's an open question, right? Facebook has been amazing at it, but it's also been their entire business and, and Google for the majority of its existence and the majority of its revenue, right, is is demand capture. So it's it's a completely different animal. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see, right? Yeah, I, I think they, they do well with, with some stuff so far, but yeah, we'll definitely, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I, I love how transparently the campaign type is named just demand gen. Like it's yeah. so, it's so it's not branded whatsoever. It's just, it would be, it's like if they would call Pmax, like, I don't know, Capture Max or something like that. Placement soup. <laughs> Placement soup. Yeah. Yeah. Then, hey, you know what? We're closer to the fall than we are to summer at this point. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to some warm placements to you. Yeah. But, so we, we mentioned that YouTube is a core component of these demand gen campaigns and and YouTube shorts in particular, that's one of like the big iterations here compared to discover campaigns is that it's going to have the short inventory in there. What do you think about YouTube shorts so far? And like, have you, what's working with not, have you, do you have a lot of experience with it? I have a decent amount of experience. We run YouTube shorts for most clients that are also running on social. And I, I, I honestly find it to be pretty, pretty strong. It, it, it definitely punches above its weight. I mean, the, the great thing about shorts is that you can essentially take assets that work well on Facebook, you know, vertical video, very native feeling, you kind of like TikTok text overlays, all of that, you know, UGC content that you see people posting about on Twitter, right? You can take that, drop it right into shorts and it's, got to perform pretty well and sometimes like very well so and it's something that we've found as well is that while the direct attribution is maybe not amazing like it could be pretty good you know the the post-purchase and i always cite post-purchase data 
with like a gigantic grain of salt because I don't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, <laughs> you know, are, are people really going to know where, you know, they originally saw this product, but it, it, it gets a lot of credit for for purchase in the post-purchase survey. So, you know, I'm just have a specific client I'm thinking about where, you know, one and a half percent of the spend is going to shorts. I mean, they're spending a lot of money, so it's a, not an insignificant amount of money. And 4.9% of the post-purchase attribution is going to shorts. Now, again, I don't believe that that is the actual number. I mean, the direct attribution is, is significantly lower than that, but still, like, we're happy with it, right? Yeah. So I think it's I think it's a, generally a great placement. I mean, it's a lot of inventory. It just matches how people are interacting, right? Like, I sit on tiktok a lot like instagram reels like it's kind of i feel like the way that media consumption is going and youtube the biggest media platform there is i like shorts i recommend it to every you know paid social client as like something to to test like throw some budget in there see how it does and yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited excited about it in demand gen too yeah, I'm 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 quite curious about it, and uh, I mean, I think the the interesting thing about this short form video is like, so by the way, I'm not, I'm an old man. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't. I haven't really checked out YouTube Shorts that much myself. So my exposure here is like to is to to Reels on Instagram, and uh, but what I find about my behavior there, like if you think about like a view rate, I either have like a two percent view rate. Or like a thousand percent view rate because I ended up rewatching the thing like ten times because they're so short and yeah. and if they're really good then they're really good. So I think that's it's a it's a interesting form of engagement, and I think what what sounds cool in in the demand gen context they're going to have these brand lift studies which we know from YouTube and say what you will about about them. I'm actually kind of more interested in the in the search lift studies because you'll hear that like from folks who are advertising on both meta and Google. It's like, if you, that, you know, if there's a reduction in their spend on meta or they're, they're turning off meta or something that then they see their search volume on Google can drop as well. And so I'm wondering, you know, what kind of effects there. I, I, I do, I, I really believe in search lift as a phenomenon and I'm curious what the studies will show. I'm excited about that because I've, I've seen this so many times with paid social, right? And it was like, it's one of the ways that we can also, I mean, we can't like directly track it, but it's one of the things that we also look at, you know, when we're working with clients, it's like to get a more complete picture of performance, right? And I think, you know, TikTok in particular, we see this a lot where like the, the direct attribution on TikTok will be terrible. But, you know, we start running ads on TikTok and Amazon sales will surge yeah. in relation to the, the, the TikTok. Um, yeah, I think it'll be really exciting to see what yeah. it is because I, I definitely believe the phenomenon is there as well. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the premise of demand gen, you know, like uh, that uh, you can generate the demand over here and then go ahead and capture it through the search channels over there. And yeah, I, I, what I want to see is good. I don't know. Let, let, let's see how, how it's going to work out, though. Oh, yeah, because I remember what I was saying. That's sort of the promise of Pmax already, is that 
is that these properties are in there and that Google is going to like kind of magically serve the right ad at the right moment to the right user and so on and create something more than the sum of those placements. But I don't, I kind of don't believe that that's actually what happens in Pmax. I yeah. feel like they just, they, they're, they just go shopping and if there's extra budget, then they throw some display in or something. I don't really feel like it's this synergetic magical formula. And I think demand gen plus Pmax or demand gen plus any kind of search or shopping could work pretty well. Yeah, my, 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 I feel like my, my feelings on Max are pretty well, well known. I, the, like, Google people are in my DMs all the time, like, trying to tell me I'm wrong. But I generally view PMAX as, like, remnant inventory, like, sales. Like, that's what it, yeah. And so, I, I think I'm, I'm much more optimistic about demand gen than, than, than PMAX. So, I, I would say it has a very positive, positive buzz at the moment. So before I'm just looking at the clock here, I've got you a bit longer. I want to ask you just, we were, we were talking about paid social. You are ma managing, you are managing meta ad spend in addition to Google. And I'm just wondering how is the situation different than like 18 months ago? Cause I hear things are improving. Signs are positive. Is that what you're seeing too? Yeah, it feels like a lot. It's, it feels like a much better platform and you know, Tim Cook definitely like took Apple out there, took the meta out to the woodshed with iOS 14, which is now two, that's two or is it two or three? I, I don't know. Yeah, two or three yeah. years old at this point. Yeah, that's a uh, while ago now. That's a while ago. Yeah. But it took, it took meta a long time to get their attribution back in platform. And like, it's still, there's still, it's still like a buggy platform and there's stuff in there, but I think it's in a much better place. Now, Advantage Plus, the, the new campaign type that has rolled out over the last year or so, tends to work really well. I mean, I'm incredibly bullish on Meta. I've invested a lot of money in Meta stock over the last year or so, which has turned out to be a great decision, but I think it's in a much better place. I think advertisers are in a better place on Meta too. Both, I think advertisers are just getting better about knowing what works and what doesn't. But I also think the advertising ecosystem is getting better in the sense that a lot of the wasteful players are leaving. And what I mean by that is all of these VC-backed brands who could like, oh, like, you know, acquisition costs like well above the lifetime value, just like burning money to acquire mm -hmm. customers. That's pretty much worked its way out of the system at this point, right? And we've, we've seen it with like Allbirds and all of these other, you know, publicly traded, you know, VC backed like e-commerce companies essentially. Yeah. So I think brands like Allbirds and other, you know, big VC backed companies that could overspend on acquisition well beyond what they would be able to get back. Like a lot of that money has made its way through the system and it was a lot of money when you like add it all up. So I just think it's a. You know, not only is the platform better in terms of like ASC, Advantage Plus, getting their attribution data back mostly through modeling, right? But it was a big problem for them. And I'm sure they invested billions to make it work. And then just lots of free money that has worked its way out of the system. So I actually think it's in a, a great spot. I'm generally very happy with it, except for their, you know, flaky moderation decisions and how stuff gets disapproved by machines. But, you know, uh, same. I mean... 
the disapprovals on Google are out of control as well. So <laughs> let's face it. Yeah. But so I've got a one remark and one one question. Yeah, you mentioned the VC burning through, and I think that's true. The, I guess then what my eye is on now is that there's this wave of, of Chinese money coming in, and and the situation might be a bit different than in the U.S. than here in Europe. But, you know, they're rather than selling through retailers or then selling directly through Amazon. Now, a, a lot of, are there some some players stepping up out of China and, and Southeast Asia who are just trying to just sell directly to the consumers and they're spending money like crazy. I mean, Timu comes to mind, but there's also uh, Shopee has made some plays in this area. There's one, I don't know if you see these guys in the US at all, but we're seeing them a lot here in Europe, light in the box. They're out of Singapore. And they're just throwing money at the wall. So there, it seems like there's always got to be some some big shot walking around spending way beyond any kind of realistic customer acquisition payback window. But yeah. It's definitely, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a cycle that will always repeat itself. It feels less on, on Facebook now. So we'll enjoy those waters while we have them uh, yeah. before we go back into the, the crazy up cycle again. And and one one more thing. So, you know, you were just talking about how Facebook has recovered a lot of their attribution through modeling, and you're talking about advantage shopping campaigns in a pretty positive sense. And this is like I feel like I often hear hear it this way, or people seem to have a lot of love or willingness to accept something like Advantage Plus and accepting the the modeled attribution and stuff like that and then if it would be google on the other hand like their equivalent is performance max and you know they're also working on model conversions and we're going to hear a lot more of that after they sunset cookies next year and i'm just wondering why what's the difference why why are people hard on google on some of these topics and not so hard on on meta is, is the product just structured better is it just about the performance what is it that is a great question, and it's one that I've thought about too. Because I used to be like, I've I've done a full one eighty. I used to be like very like pro Google and like pro Google, and a like I think they're operating ethically, and like Facebook are like the the unethical actors. And I've done a complete one eighty on that. I think some of it is probably that you know Facebook has always been like a different animal right like you're 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 not targeting like specific queries you're targeting people and and, and demographics right and you know I, I think from an advertising standpoint they haven't really taken too much away and also there's the fact that it's an owned platform or owned platforms right like audience network which is like display right it's like facebook's display it was like a very very small per percentage of their whole platform and everything else is owned inventory for them and then like google has over the years and some of it's i'm sure like pr right like they've continued to go out of their way to take things away and the way they've taken them away has been poorly communicated or like outright, you know, BS. 
like the the whole like search query report thing like that they're like oh yeah we did it for privacy but like you still have like single impression zero click like queries showing up in there all the time and then you've got tons of stuff with conversions it just isn't there you know we've also seen that like hidden the cost per click escalation and hidden queries has gone up faster than like visible queries right so you know I, I think it's been a trend of behavior on Google's part where I'm like, oh, I don't trust you guys. And yeah, I don't like, cause you're right. If, 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 well, PMAX was kind of like that, but you're like, I would definitely, I trust Meta more than, than Google in terms of like their sort of benevolence towards advertisers on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause I, it, you, it's, it's pretty common, common thing that I observe. And I, I think too, with Advantage Plus, I mean, I think big beef that people have with Performance Max, it, you know, these topics like brand versus non-brand, which is starting to get under control, like what is remarketing and, and what is actually acquisition, kind of cold acquisition. This this is a kind of open question. And I think you, you've got more control in meta over that. So that's one thing. And just as you said, Google has... They've really changed the identity of the platform, and they've they've t like things that were so core to their value proposition at the start are things that they've taken away or reduced, and so it's it's probably just had some reputational damage. Right, um, and I, I love you mentioned the brand non brand because I love the the Ben and Kirk argument on brand non brand, and I like having it in Pmax, but like. That's one of the things where, like, you know, the data you can see, you're like, well, why should we trust you, right? Because my experience with Performance Max, when you leave brand in Performance Max, is that it'll use that to, like, hit a target that you probably didn't set aggressively enough, and then waste budget on, like, remnant display inventory to bring you down to your target. And so, you know, all of your conversions are essentially being driven by brands which is a small percentage of the overall spend. And the rest of the spend is essentially just lighting money on fire on low quality inventory. And like, we can see that, right? Like not as clearly as we should, because they're like, here are these like, you know, query groupings, right? But like, you can still see that. And so, you know, like, I'm sure there's probably, it's like you had visibility and now you don't. And the stuff that you can see doesn't look good. Whereas on Facebook, it's just always been, you know, different. Well, I think we're just about the end of our time box here. So before I let you go, I mean, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Are there any trends you're watching or anything that you feel is hyped, underhyped? So this is, I guess, like mostly U.S. specific, but and I don't know how, how much you follow U.S. politics. The, the less you follow U.S. politics, the, the better your mental health. So the... Essentially, there's like a no student loan repayments, and those are restarting in October. So there's a you know huge swath of, of people who are going to have to start paying money back against loans, and it's estimated to be between like seventy and two hundred billion dollars, of which has mostly been discretionary income for kind of like the core demo, right? You know, younger adults and just losing lots of money. So, you know, that's something I'm, I'm watching to see how that'll impact, 
you know, spending on e-commerce, right? Or particularly as it like happens right before the holiday season. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of just like one one thing I'm looking at. And then you're you're hyped, overhyped, underhyped. I'm gonna say that that is generative AI. It is both over and underhyped. Mm-hmm. Uh, gonna drop drop that there. I think you know the everyone's like, oh, it's gonna change the world right now, and you know it's gonna replace all of us. We're you know bow before our AI overlords. I think we're a little ways away from that. But uh, you know the the potential applications are are definitely massive and probably larger than most of us even realize yeah i think that's a good way to describe it there's that like oh i, I can't quote this as exactly as i as i should but there's that bill gates quote where like we we kind of overestimate the amount of change that's going to happen in the next three years and we underestimate the amount of change that's going to happen in the next 10 years and and it's probably something like that yep. um, thanks for mentioning that about the student loans repayment i think that's huge and i won't comment on too much more because i have a terrible habit of ending episodes on a super low note (laughs) and i'm not going to do that but i think it i think unfortunately that is i don't have a nice way to phrase it that's 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 something to definitely keep an eye on it's not good timing at all but to put it to put it as short as i can so thanks again for for sharing all these ideas and experiences with us any any shout outs or where can we find you online well, appreciate you having me, Mike. This is a lot of fun. You can find me on Twitter at BJ Slattery, and you can just look me up on LinkedIn as well, Colin Slattery. You know, lots lots of hot takes to be found. I I do make it into the take of the week competition on a fellow podcast pretty frequently. So if you want some marketing hot takes, fun, I promise you it won't be a boring follow. <laughs> yeah. That, and that, that's Marketing O'Clock, so definitely check out the Marketing O'Clock, great podcast. I, I might have gotten a hot take on there once or twice too, but <laughs> it's, I love I love that podcast. It's always a lot of fun. Yeah, so that was Colin Slattery. Thanks again for joining us, Colin. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks for listening to Growing E-Commerce. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with coworkers, friends, or within your professional network. We really appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Smarter E-Commerce, also known as MEC. To learn more, visit smarter-ecommerce.com.